Good evening and a very warm welcome, one and all, to our cathedral church here in the Diocese of Columbus. In a very particular way, tonight I welcome some of those who take on particular roles of leadership and witness in the life of the church here in the Diocese of Columbus. Tomorrow, the church will gather in a wider context at St. Charles High School. But for this evening, we gather here very profoundly in the presence of the Lord. I extend a very warm welcome to those who are joining us by way of the live stream and by St. Gabriel Radio. It means a lot that we could be together to pray. And while there are many, many, many people, I'll say this again tomorrow, whom I should thank for all of the organization and for pulling us together today and tomorrow. I want to thank Father Adam Streitenberger and the Evangelization Committee, Pam Harris and Stephanie Rapp, the co-chairs of our Eucharistic gathering, and all of those, all of those who bring us together thank our cathedral choir and our musicians tomorrow. And I want to say a special word of welcome to one of my closest friends, but also a collaborator in the work of the gospel, Archbishop Nelson Perez. I'll introduce him more formally tomorrow, but I'll give you a hint of what I'll say. I met him really only the day before we were to be announced as bishops. It was actually my 50th birthday, that, and we, got, we were at the residence of Bishop Murphy, the bishop who would ordain us. We had spoken at length on the phone for a few days when we couldn't speak to anybody else. And we were ordained together, in a sense, as brother bishops. He's my Cuban twin, and I'm his Irish twin. Archbishop Perez, we welcome you very, very warmly here to Columbus, the heart, if you will, of the state of Ohio. Now, I know you have connections up a little further north of here before you went back to Philadelphia, but we're so glad that you would lead us in these days. And thank you for praying with us tonight, for walking with us, walking with the Lord, and for committing to lead us tomorrow in your keynote addresses. You know, 
I don't know if you've heard the name Dom De- Gregory Dix. He was an Anglican liturgical scholar, but he was pretty Catholic in his ways. I think his heart was within the church. And in one of his famed works is a quote that is often picked up reflecting on the words of Jesus at the Last Supper and that great command, do this in memory of me. He asks, was ever another command so obeyed? For century after century, spreading slowly to every continent and country and among every race on earth, this action has been done in every conceivable human circumstance for every conceivable human need from infancy and before it to an extreme old age and after it, from the pinnacles of earthly greatness to the refuge of fugitives in caves and the dens of the earth. Men have found no better thing than this to do for kings at their crowning and for criminals going to the scaffold. For armies in triumph or for a bride and groom in a little country church. For the proclamation of a dogma or for a good crop of wheat. For the wisdom of parliament of a mighty nation or for a sick old woman afraid to die for a schoolboy sitting for an examination or for Columbus setting out to discover America for the famine of a whole province or the soul of one who is beloved for Captain So-and-so, wounded and a prisoner of war, while the lions and while the lions roared in the nearby amphitheater, tremulously, by an old monk on the 50th anniversary of his vows, furtively, by an exiled bishop who had hewn timber all day in a prison camp. Gorgeously, as for the canonization of St. Joan of Arc. One could fill many pages with the reasons why men have done this, still not tell a hundredth part of them. And best of all, week by week and month by month, On a hundred thousand successful Sundays, faithfully, unfailingly, 
across all the parishes of Christendom. Pastors have done this to make holy the common people of God. Indeed, this command of Jesus, do this in memory of me, has been heard in every generation, in every part of the world, in grandeur, in simplicity, in haste, in times of tremendous need. This command of Jesus, do this in memory of me, is tied deeply to the promise which we recall today, taken from that 28th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. I am with you always even until the end of time. We know that quote of Matthew's gospel. At his ascension, Jesus tells his closest friends, his apostles, those whom he would send. Go. Proclaim the gospel to every nation, teaching them all that I have commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and know that I am with you always, even unto the end of time. Indeed, Jesus has been with his church every moment along the way. As we begin this time of real presence, real future, as we step in to a brand new venture with an awful lot of unknown. As we risk some of that which is most familiar to us, we focus very keenly on that promise of Jesus. Two convictions. Two convictions. One, I take this from that book, from Christendom to Apostolic, Preaching in Apostolic Age. One conviction is, that Jesus Christ is the answer to every human need. Everyone in leadership in the church, every one of us, needs to be firm in that conviction that it is Jesus Christ who is the answer to every human need. Not just my ideals or my preferences, 
but it's Christ himself. And then the second one that goes along with it, the one just proclaimed, I am with you always, even until the end of time. We come here in prayer before the Blessed Sacrament because we know that it is here that we experience him in the deepest and truest way. Here, praying before him, present in the Blessed Sacrament, we recall how we experience his love and receive his life every time we gather at Mass, where he gives himself to us as food for the journey and life for the world. Think about those first apostles of Jesus and their recollection of this promise. Think about them in those days after Jesus ascended into heaven as they knelt in prayer with a certain sense of wonderment. They had heard his promise. And yet it was still a little bit scary out there, wasn't it? And they heard him tell them to go back and to pray and await the coming of the Spirit. And they prayed as we gather tonight. They wondered as we gather tonight. They hoped. They said, gee, where are we going to be in this and what's it going to mean? Think of them when they had that experience of the Holy Spirit and were filled with that fire and went out to proclaim him boldly, confidently, unapologetically. We think of Peter's great speech in the Acts of the Apostles on the day of Pentecost. And how everyone heard him each in his own language. But we think of the content of that speech. We often focus on the the signs and the wonders of that day. But think of the strength of his proclamation of who Jesus is. Of how he died on the cross and rose from the dead and is with them even now. Think of Peter and John. A few days later making their way no longer locked up and hidden out of fear but out in the temple square and walking by the streets and going alongside the temple gate and coming up to the temple gate and meeting that man who was crippled from birth who was begging for help who cried out for alms. And Peter and John said, Listen, neither silver nor gold do I have. The cry of the church throughout the generations. But what I have, I gladly give you. Remember, in the name of Jesus, Nazareth, arise and walk. You see, they were conscious in a very real way 
that it was Jesus Christ risen from the dead who would heal this man, who would get him back on his feet and restore him to life. It wasn't just a sense of false humility. No, no, it wasn't really us. It was that firm conviction that it's only Jesus and that he was with them. Only Jesus and he was with them. When people tried to give them credit, they were horrified. No, only Jesus and he is here. And that becomes the real cry of the church in every generation. When times were good and exciting, when times were lean and worrisome, in times of tremendous growth, And in times of near collapse, the one thing that was always true was the real presence of Jesus Christ, alive, risen from the dead, and walking with his people. We know that and have seen it in powerful ways. We can tell great stories through the generations of miraculous events and appearances that have strengthened our faith, strengthened a people's faith at a particular time, but have given inspiration through the ages. We know with, in very small ways where people have experienced that closeness of Jesus Christ. And we know it today, don't we? We know it today. Jesus Christ is alive. And it's he alone who is the answer to any human need. That conviction and inspire us and give us confidence in the living out of our lives and calm all of our fears. But think about it. We need to proclaim him. That conviction also impels us, if you will, to use Jesus' mission, to share in his mission. Years ago, when on Long Island in preparation for the 50th anniversary of the diocese, we had a Eucharistic Congress. There's a large gathering at a local shrine. We had many, many people there. It was the eve of Pentecost, and we had prepared for an outdoor event and of course it rained all day long 
And somehow or another, we crowded into this chapel far too many people for the capacity, but we did it. And Cardinal Oscar Rodriguez of Honduras was the keynote speaker, and he just slipped into every language back and forth with great ease, and he was filled with real energy, with real fervor. He said, you know, St. Paul, at one point, he told us, was experiencing, he was going for his physical and a little bit of a heartbeat. And his doctor said, there's something strange, and sent him to a cardiologist. You didn't know there were cardiologists in the first century, did you? (laughs) And he sent him to the cardiologist who pulled out his first century stethoscope. (laughs) And listened and said, yeah, there is something strange here. And he's listening closely. And he hears this heartbeat. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Indeed. St. Paul's heart beat to a different rhythm, didn't it? Stethoscope or not. (laughs) It beat to a different rhythm. It became the total point of his entire life. Woe to me if I'm not preaching that gospel. It became his very lifeblood, his, his breath, pointing to the presence of Jesus Christ. And that's for us, too. Sometimes it's rather easy to do. And some of our conventional ways do work. And we use our education systems and we try to introduce people to come to know and love Jesus Christ, to, to understand the, the teachings of the church in all of its fullness. Sometimes it's hard in a world that may not be all that receptive to it or finds the language that we speak entirely strange. Sometimes it means pointing to the presence of Jesus Christ in time of tremendous turmoil. I often... I'm a, I'm a great fan, you might say, of some of the contemporary Christian music artists like Matt Marr and all of those people. Matt Marr has a song, Where Were You When All of My Life Was Falling Apart? He goes through the litany. He says, you were on the cross. You were there all the time, bearing my burdens with me. Sometimes the Lord does miraculous things that lift us up and inspire us. But sometimes he walks with us in our suffering. 
Even Paul with that heartbeat, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Remember, three times I asked the Lord to remove this thorn from my side. And he said, now I got something else in mind for you. My grace is sufficient. I'm going to ask you, can you bear with me for one more tall tale of that Eucharistic Congress? You know, part of that experience of the Eucharistic Congress, the bishop at the time asked the priests to gather in small groups using the deanery groups and to use their deanery meetings to talk about, very just simply, not a, a, a particular agenda, but just to talk about their experience of the Eucharist. This one priest, he came from India, started to say, you know, in my country we have these tremendous, these big Eucharistic processions, sort of like we're going to have a Eucharistic procession tonight. And he says, in my country, he said, each year we try to make the procession a little more grand than the year before. And sometimes it gets a little out of hand. He said, one year they decided they were going to take the monstrance. Now, pardon me, please bear with me. He says, they're going to take the monstrance and put it on, fasten it to the back of a donkey. And they were going to let the donkey kind of carry the monstrance through the village. And that's what they did. And now picture the, 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 the procession, the priests coming by, offering their prayers very reverently. The incense, the altar servers with the incense and the bells. People on both sides of the street throwing flowers into the street. All in praise and adoration, falling to their knees as, they, as, as, as the, the, the procession passes by, crying out, glory, glory, alleluia. The priest said, the donkey kind of liked this. Yeah, he started to get this attention, and all of a sudden his head goes up high, and there he is. He's, he's marching along in this procession, looking one way, looking the other, look at me, look at me, look at this. Yes, people, very good, very good people. Donkey loved it so much that the next day the donkey decided he was going to try this again. So what does he do? He finds his way out of the yard. He makes his way down to the center of the, the town square. He starts down the square and he starts strutting along there, head held high. Look at me. Look at me. Only this time, nobody paid attention. They went about doing their business some of the old men playing cards on the sidewalk, some of the storekeepers out there sweeping the streets, some of them trying to bring people in for deals. Now, we knew at this point the guy was telling us a tall tale. But he looks up at his, us and he says, Brother Priest, if we're not carrying Jesus Christ, we're nothing but a bunch of donkeys. There's something in that, certainly for us as priests, isn't there? But there's something in that for the church. What is the mission of the church? 
Teach the gospel to all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything I proclaim. And know that I am with you always until the end of time. Ladies and gentlemen, we know we can have the best coffee and donuts and hospitality that you can ever imagine. We can have the warmest welcome. We can have lively societies and all kinds of wonderful things. And those are very important. We as the church can run the best possible schools you could ever imagine and offer the most important social services that this land could need. It's all very good and it's all very important, isn't it? Ah, but unless we're carrying Jesus, none of those things matter. Unless we're carrying Jesus, we're running treadmills or pushing the wind in the air or whatnot. Unless we're carrying Jesus, we're nothing but a bunch of donkeys. The good news, friends, is that we carry Jesus. Indeed, we will, after this time of prayer, carry Jesus here in the streets of Columbus. We will do that in a very real way, processing with the Blessed Sacrament. But that's really just a reminder of what we need to do every single day and what we're all about. Indeed, you do it. I know that. I'm preaching to the choir. But I often say, even the choir needs rehearsal. (laughs) But we keep our eyes focused, not on our projects, not on our disappointments, but on Jesus Christ. For he is with us, even until the end of time. Amen. Amen.